Welcome to the Bigger Cashflow Podcast, where we interview business owners and real estate investors that share tips and tricks on how to grow your cash flow and reach financial freedom. Welcome everyone to another exciting episode of the Bigger Cash Flow Podcast. My name is Bo Kim, your host, and today we have an exciting episode with Sam Kwok. Sam is a serial entrepreneur and real estate investor who has come from humble beginnings. Immigrated from South Korea in 1999, the Kwok family only had $2,000 cash on hand and lived in a small one-bedroom apartment in Albany Park, Chicago. Fast forward to today, He has launched several different businesses and has authored a book titled Fire Your Boss. He and his brother own over 76 rental units and train entrepreneurs and small business owners on how to crush it in real estate investing and marketing. With that said, let's welcome Sam to the show. What's up, Sam? Hey, Hey, how's it going, everybody? Good, good, good. So excited to have you here. Um, You know, I came across some of your YouTube videos um, Mm -hmm. About a year ago when one of my yeah. friends, actually my co-host, Joe Kim, who couldn't be here today, okay. unfortunately, he, he says hi, but um, okay. he sent me a video about, you know, the biggest scam in the world about, you know, education right. and financial literacy and things like that. And I really resonated with that video and mm-hmm. then started checking out more of your stuff and you have a ton of great content. So I wanted to get you on the show here. So why don't we just dive right in and Mm -hmm. can you speak to our listeners a little bit about yourself, your background and what you're currently doing in the real estate game? Sure. Yeah. So, uh, so I started, my brother and I started this business, uh, real estate investing in five years ago. So that was about, that was 2014. And I'm sure this, this is like the real estate investing Bible of all all time, rich dad, poor dad. Uh, we, we've all read it. Right. And this is like one of the things that, that, really brought myself and many other individuals to wake, wake up call. So it was 2014. We read the book. We're super like excited. And uh, I think all of us were when we first got started and uh, we were taking action, like trying to go try to find uh, every single like YouTube videos about real estate investing out there and reading books, downloading free things. And uh, along the way, um, you know, taking action, going out there, putting deals together or what we thought we were putting deals together. Uh, we ran across a mentor and we, we hit a spot where uh, my our first year we were still in college. We were still doing our classes. We were doing like fifteen credit hours a week, and um, obviously we felt a little frustrated. We felt a little impatient about not getting to our first deal right off the bat. So we ended up uh, meeting a local mentor uh, here in the area, and he had some two hundred other two hundred some doors. And uh, we met with him, bought him lunch multiple times. We actually ended up working for this guy for free uh, for a long period of time, whether it was social media, we, uh, we helped him out with some marketing related things. And of course, you know, we were shadowing him as much as possible. And one pivotal moment that pretty much changed everything was what we started to bring deals uh, in front of this guy. And uh, we were starting to bring deals that uh, actually had some really good potential. So, um, that's how the, the, I guess, the value exchange relationship started to happen. And I think it was 20, late 2016, 20, 2017. That's when things just kind of hit, hit, uh, hit off the ground. Um, just one year, one year we picked up 75 units. And ever since then, yeah, we've been just 
um, picking up projects after project. And if I have to go back and sort of um, filter down to two main things that made the biggest impact and the change in development for us, uh, I'd have to say, uh, the first thing that really changed the game for us is understanding and learning how to negotiate for owner financing. Uh, for those who don't know what that is, it's a concept where instead of having to go through a bank to get financing, we're instead having a conversation, a dialogue with the seller of a property to where we're making an arrangement to make monthly payments to the seller and uh, we get the uh, ownership right of the property. And of course, some people say, well, why would anyone do that? Um, I like to say desperate people do desperate things. Um, I, the better way to say this, the more, I guess, effective way to say this is people who have challenges are willing to do anything to solve their problems, right? So owner financing just, just happens to be one of the things that can help individuals with certain problems that they may have uh, in regards to real estate investing. The second thing that um, helped us a lot to like catapult to 75 units like this um, I remember like we, we understood how to negotiate for owner financing. Um, that was, that was the easy part because once you get through some practice, um, you'll, you'll get it. But the second part that really got us to where we felt stuck was not enough capital. Um, we were negotiating these deals into owner financing. That that's great. But a lot of these sellers still wanted to have us do a down payment, whether it's 10% or 5%, 20%. So when you're buying a 36 unit apartment building, that's $1.5 million. Yeah, 10% is quite a bit at $150,000 that you're gonna come up with. So I remember feeling really stuck. Um, I, I was kind of bummed out because I, we were hitting a wall. Like we were doing really, really well. It's kind of like when you're like, um, when you see success happening, but all of a sudden it just kind of crumbles because mm -hmm. of this one thing. Um, that one thing was lack of capital and every single seller that we were dealing with were asking us to do some sort of down payment of course being 23 24 at the time I mean we didn't have $150,000 so a lot of you guys may uh, may know this TV show Shark Tank right uh, if you don't please come out of the rock because the world is better uh, when you come <laughs> out of the rock uh, but there's a show uh, in ABC the Shark Tank uh, you got your main uh, shark characters like Mark Cuban Kevin O'Leary uh, Damon John, right? All these uh, multi-million billionaires that are really successful. And I remember watching this particular episode. And I remember this because um, I don't own a TV, so I don't watch Shark Tank off my TV. But I, I was traveling uh, this particular time. And uh, I was in my hotel just flickering through TV. And then I saw Shark Tank. I'm like, oh, perfect. I don't have to watch uh, Housewives or whatever show, the show I was watching. And um, so I was watching Sh uh, Shark Tank. And I've seen Shark Tank before. And I saw a contestant walk in very nice nicely dressed uh had a little briefcase that i was holding he walks in and he says hey my name is such and such hello sharks my name is you know whatever and he said i don't have a business experience i've never started a business so a lot of you guys listening as w2 employees and you guys have a full-time day job or a professional uh this is this story will will definitely um resign resonate with you but this gentleman walks in and says hey i don't have any business experience i never ran a business um but I mean, I'm here to ask for $100,000 for 20% of my, comp my, my business idea. And here I thought, I'm like, man, this, gonna, this guy's going to get roasted by <laughs> Kevin Leary, right? I can totally imagine Kevin Leary and Mark Cuban being like, dude, you don't have a business experience. What are you doing here? Like, go home. Uh, that's totally what I was, was thinking uh, off, off the top of my head. And this guy starts going uh, to share his pitch. And... The longer he started, the longer he pitched, I was starting to realize maybe I'm wrong about this guy because he sounded really professional. 
Uh, you can definitely tell that this is not his first rodeo as far as public speaking. Uh, the third thing is he had uh, documents, he had business plan, he had data. Uh, and in fact, later I find out that he was actually, he's part, he was in this industry for a very long time. He just hasn't uh, had, you know, he didn't have his own business. He was working for other companies and things like that. But he had immense amount of data. He had uh, market research. He knew what he was talking about. Like he, you could not argue with this guy. So at the end, um, Kevin, Kevin O'Leary and, and this contestant, they were going back and forth. And every time Kevin threw a question at him, like this guy got it. Like he, he had it in the back of his tongue. He just, it was ready to go. Um, and my jaw literally dropped when Kevin O'Leary is like, okay, um, I'll, I'll give you $100,000 for 20% equity of this, this proposed company. And I'm like, holy smokes, right? Like, but at the same time, a light bulb went on my head. So wait a minute, if this dude here was able to go into a group of, you know, a group of sharks, never had a business, uh, never ran a business, let's put it that way, uh, and never, never had a single revenue as a business owner, is it possible that I could translate this, this process into also raising capital for real estate? And a light bulb went off my head. I'm like, okay, so if I can, if I can be this, like this guy, I can model this guy, I dress like this guy, I sound like this guy, and I walk into a room of billionaires and walk away with a $100,000 check, I think I'll be set. So Daniel and I went to work. We started working on our pitch. Uh, we read a book called Pitch Anything. Phenomenal book. You guys should all read it uh, by Oren Kloff, uh, which, by the way, I bought my paper copy for two bucks. So uh, if you can't spare two bucks, but you go do coffee runs in Starbucks, uh, you have a problem. Uh, but go, go get a copy. This, this, so that and also a few other things. Um, you know, we took a bunch of sales training programs, um, public speaking. That's huge. And, you know, we started dressing better and we, we understood how to create business plans and also executive summaries to, to formulate a deal. And the better we got at articulating our data, our research, and also how we uh, make sense of the deal, it almost seemed like the, these wealthier individuals wanted to work with us, right? It's, it's almost like Kevin O'Leary wanted to work with this guy who, though he didn't have any business experience, but he had a lot of data going at, at him. Like, you know that this guy is reliable um, despite the fact that he doesn't have a whole lot of experience. So when you guys are faced with, with this fact that, man, no one wants to lend me money or man, no one wants to work with me. Well, first of all, um, one of the things you have to do is you got to prove yourself. That's number one. But number two is you have to put, you have to understand the, what I like to call what Daniel likes to call it, the value creation formula. Like how do you create value in a conversation? And um, there's a phenomenal book that I'm actually reading right now. And I think it translates really well as, as to what I'm trying to say is called the book. It's called the, uh, the go giver uh, phenomenal book. And I got to thank Matt for this one. Cause he, he, he sold it to me. Uh, there's a book called Go Giver, where if you feel like, man, like no one wants to work with me, no one wants to lend me money, no one wants to be, no one wants to be my money partner. Everywhere I look, all the hard money lenders don't want to lend to me, or my private lenders don't want to lend to me. Uh, read the book because you understand that when you make your conversation about yourself or about your business, you'll never get the deal. But if you almost always make the conversation about them and what they want out of the transaction, the relationship you'll almost certainly have a higher degree of chance of, be, of attracting people um, that have money, first of all, and that have incredible amount of value to share with you. So if you guys 
feel feel like man like I, I don't know where to go from here no one's lending me money or I don't have any capital um, I don't like I don't have any basis or foundation as to how, how to build my real estate investing business um, don't give up the, the number one thing that I see the, the, the challenge that I see with people is the mentality and what I what I what I mean by that is the mentality of of a taker versus a mentality of a giver if you want to become a successful entrepreneur you have to be you have to have the mentality of a giver um, I've never seen anyone succeed coming from a mentality of a taker like someone like all of us have a taker in our, in our life like hey give me this give me that right uh, they're asking you questions like hey Bo can I have this this and this and this or can you give me this and this and this instead if you have the mentality of a giver you're asking hey uh, Bo, what, what is your number one problem that you need help solve with? Or who do you want me to get in touch with to help you solve that problem? So the moment you, you switch your mindset to becoming a genuine giver, like you don't expect anything in return when you give, um, that's when you know you're going to hit a stride. Like when you make it about them and put money on, on second, okay, if you, if you believe that money is a byproduct by helping other individuals, you're going to be far ahead of a lot of people trying to break into this business for sure. There was yeah. a, a ton of keywords that, you know, I was uh -huh. just taking notes because I want to unpack that one by one. And right. some of the keywords <clears throat> that came up to mind was you mentioned mm -hmm. value exchange, right? Like you were talking about not me, but them, right? So right. I wrote down W I I F T. I want you guys to remember right. what's in it for them, not me, right, right? right? Because the same thing when I deal with private money lenders, you know, they want to know, hey, tell me the return of my capital before the return yeah. on my capital. So right. those are great tips that San just shared with us. And it reminds me of the quote by Zig Ziglar um, yep. that says, you can get anything you want in life if you help enough right. other people get what they want first. So let's take a step yeah. back. Yeah. Okay. So let's go to, you know, younger Sam sure. came from Korea. You immigrated. You came from mm -hmm. humble beginnings. Tell me how, other than you picking up the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, was yeah. there anything else that kind of shifted your focus into real estate specifically? Yeah. So um, to get to that, I, I have to share a little bit of my faith story. Uh, so uh, prior to me becoming this this real estate investor that I that somehow, man, gracious Lord, um, you know, had led me to. But <laughs> um, I was a, a full time nightclub DJ. I, I was um, DJing for different weddings. I was DJing for birthday parties. Uh, it, Number one, it was a train wreck uh, being in that industry, by the way. Um, and and I, gosh, I, I love the people. Um, and I have so much, I have so much compassion for the people because uh, I want the better things for them. Um, the challenge was I was hanging out, hanging out with the wrong people, and um, it wasn't the best influence in my life. Number one, and number two, I knew that looking at long term, like you know, once I get married, start a family, do I really want my kids or my wife seeing me come back like two, three AM in the morning? Like is that the life that I want? And at the same time, um, you know, it was towards maybe 2013, 2014, I was I was starting to come come back from my faith, um, to my faith a little bit more in, in, in a stronger way. And part of the reason why was because my my parents left to go back to Korea to live there. And um, uh, pretty much my brother and I were alone to be our own financial support. So that brought its own challenges because now we have to pay rent and we have to do all these things that being an adult, honestly, like I, I felt, I felt challenged for sure being that uh, now we have to provide for ourselves. but that challenge gave an opportunity for me to go back to my faith and to rely on uh, for God, uh, rely on my faith to, for me to, to really walk, um, 
to transcend the the challenge. So um, part of it was uh, I remember praying this really silent prayer. It was almost a scary a scary prayer at the time. I, I wasn't sure if I was if I was ready to give up my DJing yet, but I remember praying to God saying, "Hey, um, God, if you want to take." this DJ thing away from me to give me something better, I'm all for it. Right. I didn't praise, I didn't pray that again. I was like, man, if I pray a second time, he's definitely going to go away. I'm just going to pray once and then and let's see what happens. But uh, <laughs> sure enough, uh, a couple months later, my former church youth pastor approaches me saying, Hey, Sam, uh, I see that you read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, you know, I have this real estate investing group that you should definitely hang out, come and hang out with. And that's actually how I found my mentor. Um, so, yeah, it was, it, it's, it, it's really interesting. Um, it was through my, my spiritual obedience that I was able to kind of surrender my DJing career, which I'm, thank God I did. Um, you know, holy smokes. If I would have stuck with that, man, I, I don't know what would have been my, the, the, the result of, of my being. But um, that's honestly how I found uh, Roast Investing. And um, I, to give you guys kind of more of a deeper layer story, um, but yeah, that's, that's sort of how, I guess my, my adulthood, um, kind of, can kind of be summarized in that, uh, in, in that quick, you know, story back in 2014, 2013. Period. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. That was deep. I love it. Yeah. I love that story. Right. So let's kind of dive in a little bit more <laughs> into your real estate deals from the time when you kind of started in the beginning, mm-hmm. and you mentioned that, you know, you exchange values in terms of finding good deals for your mentor working for him for free. Tell me the timeline from, you know, when you got started to buying yeah. your first deal and what was that journey like? So 2014 is when we got started and we really like honestly struggled for two years. So like come to the grips of like how, like where and how to get started. And um, here's a story that might be encouraging. And I think it'll give you also perspective for those who are like are struggling with this idea. Like, man, like I haven't done a deal yet. I'm like a couple months in, or you might be like, man, I'm two hours into this business. I haven't made a million dollars yet. Um, <laughs> so here's a story and it's kind of fitting because Bo and, Bo and I are both Asians. Um, so if you guys ever tried growing a bamboo tree, um, you guys will understand this, but when you start to grow a bamboo tree and it's very infancy stage, um, you're going to need to water the bamboo tree like a lot every single day. Like bamboo tree takes a lot of water. So you're literally going to water that thing every single day and you're going to be disciplined at it. And for the first three to five years, the bamboo tree doesn't even grow an inch. It just kind of sits there and and just takes up water. But what's interesting is the more you keep watering every single day for three to five years and usually on the third or the fifth year, the bamboo tree will grow approximately 60 feet in that that one short given time but the six the the question that becomes well how long did it take for the bamboo grow, bamboo tree to grow 60 feet some of you guys may say well it took you know a couple of weeks because you had to keep watering it to, to get to that point my argument is no it actually took you three to five years because the the first two to four years is what it took for that bamboo tree to grow 60 feet so for me, it was, it, was, it was a very similar concept where the two years, nothing was happening. Like I was grinding, I was hustling, I was putting time in. And like all my friends were like, dude, you haven't even made a single money yet. Like why, why are you still spending money on books and programs and seminars? And I'm like, no, this is going to work. Like I, I believe in this, right? And it, part of me also thought if I'm going to go through problems in life, might as well pick the problems, right? If, I, if I'm going to go, like life is going to have problems no matter what whether you're rich you're poor you're busy you're not busy uh life is going to have problems but 
life does give you the option to pick problems. So uh, I, said to, I said to myself, you know what? If, if life is going to have problems, might as, might as well have a problem that's actually worth fighting for and waiting for. So um, two to three years, we struggled, 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 struggled until like third year, about two, late 2016, 2017. That's when it just like all hit. And all of a sudden, that 2017, I think we made 130000 uh, in revenue and the previous year we only made 30,000. So we went from like $30,000 in revenue in 2016 and 2017 we made 130,000. 2018 we ended with 175,000 and then no, actually, I'm, no, yeah, 2018 we ended with a quarter million dollars, 250,000 because I wasn't counting other, other revenue. And this year we're projected for a million gross. So guys, like for, for those who've been doing this or been trying to enter into this growth investing space, for a couple months, um, keep keep at it. Keep watering that bamboo. It'll, it'll grow. Watering that bamboo. I love it. You got to make a shirt. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you know, water my bamboo. Yeah. In, in other words, it's like, you know, sharpening your axe, right? Because mm -hmm. if you are a W-2 worker, <coughs> yep. you aren't going to hit home runs. It's going to be a linear path, right? Mm -hmm. But if you're an entrepreneur like, you know, Sam is, it seems like it's not growing, but then mm -hmm. boom, bring you 70 yeah, units or like that exponential so yep it takes time but if you stick with it grit mm -hmm. persistence i think those are the yeah. key words that come to mind yeah and i have another i have another tip for you guys who are w2 uh, especially if you work from nine to five or nine to six type of thing um one of my good mentors said your your nine to five should be what's called your um income producing ip timing income producing time right so those are the time where you yeah you gotta feed yourself you gotta put food on your table especially if you have a family uh, you don't you don't want to miss out on that but uh, my mentor said from six to nine, I think he said six to eight or six to nine, he makes the family time. He invested into his family. And literally from nine to midnight, he's, he's working on his long-term uh, business idea or for you guys will be real estate investing. So what could you do between nine to 12? Well, you can go and if you guys are wholesaling, build your buyers list. Uh, if you guys are looking to do a flip, uh, you guys can do your analysis, uh, sending out emails, making offers. So there's literally no excuse for, for why you can't put in the time. Um, if you got, if you have three hours, put that three hours in, uh, that's, that's going to equal to, if you're doing it for the weekend or the weekdays, that's 15 hours every week times four, that's 45 hours in a month, you know, being conservative here. And then, you know, if you stretch that out in a, in a year, you're putting a lot of our hours in. So don't underestimate the, the consistency of that, that nine or 12 um, work period. Or if you can put more in, it's great. But don't underestimate that because it adds up. Um, I love it. I love it definitely it. adds up. Yeah. So I have to ask you, now you've mentioned on the show the word mentor about a dozen times. A lot of investors who are starting out, they reach out to me and say, hey, Bo, you know, mm -hmm. I don't know what to do to get started. Like, what's the best way to get started? Mm -hmm. And I also was lucky enough to have like an informal mentor who I just yeah. reached out to on Bigger Pockets, and mm -hmm. he had about you know thirty units and took me under his wing and showed me how to underwrite deals and whatnot. Yeah. So, can you tell our listeners the value of a mentor? Those who are trying to do it themselves, what are some pitfalls and challenges that they might run into? Yeah. So my, my biggest thing, um, you know, we, we've consulted, we actually consulted with a PhD of education in this. Um, and we were trying to figure out like, how do we transform someone who's a like complete amateur and turn them into like an all-star, you know, MVP real estate investor. Right. 
And uh, after having a little bit of dialogue with this PhD in education, he was saying that a lot of what you guys are doing is information uh, mining. You guys are just getting information. And what's, what sucks about information is that only like the top 5% who like really, they're, I mean, they're designed to absorb information really well. They can do well with just information alone. But if you just rely on information alone, you're actually missing out uh, the two third of the pie that makes up for the success rate that you guys don't have. So, so Daniel and I came to a conclusion, yes, information is needed, it's very important, but these, the, the two other parts that are super crucial is, A, you need some sort of immersive experience. Um, you, need to, you need to be able to engage with somebody, so that's one and two, so you need engagement and you need immersion. So immersion is you gotta be part of a community of people that are actually doing the things that you wanna do. So it's kind of like, um, if you wanna be really good at swimming, hang out with swimmers. Uh, if you want to be really good at playing soccer, hang out with soccer players, like good soccer players. Uh, if you want to be a drug, drug addict, hang out with drug addicts. It's pretty easy. Um, if, if you want to be a professional real estate investor, hang out with real estate investors. Uh, and that also includes engagement. So just hanging out and standing there isn't going to cut it. You're going to have to engage with them, right? Ask questions, um, test your ideas out. And uh, I, I have a guy right now that's, um, that I'm mentoring. And um, he's, he, I'm mentoring other things. I told and he's working on, on how to build a website. I told him, Hey, dude, just build a website, build, build it. And he's like, I don't know how to do it. Like just build it and I'll come back and critique you. <laughs> right. So, um, it's one of those things where, um, yes, um, you need, you, I, I'm a huge proponent, proponent of having a mentor just because, um, a, it saves you time and B I'm a big believer in leverage. So leverage your relationships, um, to be where, where you can learn from other people's mistakes. Yeah, you want to learn from mistakes, but don't try to reinvent the wheel, right? I mean, how, how stupid would it sound? You, you have a friend that you care about, right? All of us do. And you have a friend that comes in and says, Bo, like, I, literally, I spent the last 23 years working on this. You want to know what it is? And you're like, what is it? Like, I, this is really important. Like, did you figure out how to cure cancer? And he goes like, no, 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 no man. I figured out how to make the perfect wheel. I'm like, <laughs> what? Are you serious? Like, dude, like. We, we figured this out like millions of years ago. What are you doing? Uh, so, I mean, I mean, I know that was more of an exaggerated example, but that's exactly how I see somebody trying to figure this out on, on their own. Like, dude, just come and ask me, right? And, I, uh, and I'll show you, uh, you know, as far as what I, what I know. But um, mentorship is big. Um, it's one of the reasons why Daniel and I, uh, first of all, we spend crap ton of money on, on networking. Um, and we go to events and we pay for the top dollar seats and you know why? And people think like, I mean, why would you want to pay for, you know, pay $10,000 when you can get the same exact content for $50? Well, it's not really the, the, the price that I'm worried about or the content that I'm worried about. I'm focused on the relationship and the, the psychology behind it is if I can, if I pay $10,000 to go to buy a seat for a conference, um, and I know the guy next to me spent $10,000 for the seat hello, like, hey, uh, what do you do, right? Like, uh, what business do you run? And clearly, if he, if he had the means to pay $10,000 for a seat, this guy knows something, something that I, I probably want to know. So I'm not paying $10,000 for the content. If I just wanted the content, I would go sit way in the back for $50, right? I'm paying $10,000 for relationships. And I know that relationship can easily turn into millions of dollars of revenue or you know, who knows, a priceless relationship that may turn into another business idea or another product launch.
Yep. You know, it's funny. Um, I go to a lot of real estate conferences and I also went to the 10X conference recently. And it's, it's funny because, you know, there's, like you mentioned, there's different tiers mm -hmm. of seating. And our, for this real estate boot camp, it's like a multifamily boot camp. And I was invited to be a guest of one of my buddies. So I was actually mm -hmm. in the VIP seating. Yep. And, you know, the attitude of the people in the front is totally different. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. They're never absolutely. late. They, they mm -hmm. show, if it's at nine, they show up at 830. And if you look to the back, it's like half empty. Yeah. And then they show up an hour later or something like yep. that. And, and, you know, that might not be always the case, but I think it yeah, goes yeah. to show price is what you pay and value is what you get. Now, what you're saying is like right. you hit the nail on the head in terms of you're not just taking it for face value, but <laughs> right. just for the price of the ticket. Um, that's just the admission, but you're paying for like the networking and to learn more because let's just say you learn 1% more and that yeah. translates into $100,000, then you right. get 10 times your investment. Right, absolutely. So, so let's talk about you know, your company and what you're kind of showing other investors. Yeah. Can you tell us about what you're doing day to day? I know you have a great video on YouTube that talks about the HELOC strategy and yeah. I think it has over a million views. And yeah, we're at 2.4 million now, yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. So give us like a 10,000 foot overview in terms of what a sure. lock is for our listeners uh, who might not know and mm -hmm. how they can implement the strategy, not only in their business, but in real estate investing. Yeah. So um, this HELOC strategy, I can't claim that I, I I've invented it. I'm invented it. Um, it's actually a strategy that was originally sort of discovered in Australia. Uh, it's actually in fact reported, I think one out of four Australians are using it, which is kind of interesting, but um, so HELOC stands for home equity line of credit. So it's kind of like uh, having a credit card that's attached to your, your home's equity, which is kind of cool, right? So anytime you go spend money off your HELOC, it's like taking a, a piece of your drywall and trading it for money. Um, that's how I imagine in my head, at least. But I, I, My wife would kill me if I do that for yeah, my- Yeah, right? Like cut a like, drywall out. Yeah. Hey, honey, we got to buy dinner. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, this is how it works. <laughs> Um, but what's great about HELOC is that um, you can tap into the equity of your uh, of a property. So even if it's um, your investment property, I know there's a lot of myth that says that, that people are saying, well, it's impossible to get a HELOC on an investment property. That's simply not true. There's actually ways to get it. Um, banks do offer it. You just need to be super bankable, meaning you got to have a lot of assets. You got to have a lot of experience. Um, you know, obviously, you have to have a really good risk, risk profile, meaning you have to have some skin in the game. And a lot of the uh, HELOCs that are given out for investment properties are typically lower in terms of loan to value because of the, 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 the degree of risk. But if you, uh, you can actually get a HELOC on your owner-occupied, meaning your own primary residence. And what you can do with the HELOC is amazing. Uh, one of the things that I teach a lot is using the HELOC to pay off an amortized loan, such as a mortgage. And um, I've, I've seen a lot of my clients uh, able to pay off their mortgages in third of the time. 30 interest um, on average. Okay, some people it takes longer. Some people may may take them even quicker. Um, so you can do that. But the bigger thing is that once they pay off their debt, or once they use that strategy to pay off their mortgage, now they have a free and clear property that they can go ahead use that resource to either make a down payment for the next property they're buying for a rental, or you can split. Right, you can do like five different down payments on five different investment properties. Um, to be able to go create cash flow and, and create um, to create financial stability. So that's one of the strategies I teach, um, and, and we, we call it the debt acceleration strategy. And, and a lot of a lot of people that come to ask me that question is mainly mainly wanting to pay off their mortgage, but um, usually 
that person and I have a conversation about, okay, what are you going to, what are you going to do after you pay the mortgage off or pay off your debt? Let's go and start thinking about retirement. Let's get you some cash flows. I personally use a HELOC to buy two extra rentals and then I borrow it, pay back my HELOC and then I do more. Are there any downsides uh, to the HELOC or using a business line of credit? Yes. So, well, business line of credit, if you do it the right way, there isn't much. Um, as far as the HELOC strategy goes, if you're doing it on your, uh, your primary residence, it can mess with your credit because now a line of credit is a revolving credit. So um, it's going to start to affect your utilization rate, which if you understand credit, um, your FICO score, your Fair Isaac uh, score, um, your utilization is about 35% of your, your FICO score um, rating. So utilization rate, for those who don't know, uh, if, let's say if you have, if you have a $10,000 credit card and you use $4,000 of it, you have a 40% utilization rate. So uh, when you have a HELOC and you know, you're, you're maxing out your HELOC all the time because you're, you're doing the strategy or you're buying more properties, you're going you're gonna to start to see your credit score kind of do this all the time. But the way that I look at it, your credit score is a tool, right? And the question to be the question to be asked is: Do you want like a perfect eight hundred or nine hundred fifty credit score, or would you want to have cash flow coming in because you you got your credit that you're utilizing? So a lot of people are like some people are like, oh my gosh, I don't want to lose my nine hundred fifty perfect credit score. Well, guess great, but you're kind of you're not generating cash flow. You're just it's kind of like having a shiny hammer and you're not doing anything with it. Um, so you kind of have to prioritize: Do I want to? Do I want to focus on my goals of creating more revenue and creating more cash flow and, and doing that? Or do I want to just have this perfect, nice and pretty 950 credit score trophy? Yeah, 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 that makes sense. And just to add on that, you know, Sam talks about a lot of good strategies like private lending, <laughs> owner yep. finance, and using your HELOC. So make sure, you know, foundationally you have a great deal and then utilize these strategies to make it even better. Absolutely. Okay, awesome. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're getting to the near end of our show. And mm-hmm. I was wondering, do you have any advice for your younger self <laughs> in high school? Yeah. Looking back, you know, it hasn't been that mm-hmm. long. You're, you're still pretty young. But yeah. knowing what you know now, would you have done anything differently? I know you have a great take on the educational system and mm-hmm. whether they have to go to college. You know, if you're in high school or you're like, or you're about to enter a college, which by the way, college isn't for everybody. And I think we all, we all know that sort of try everything that you want. Um, that's really, that's, that's only one of the main ways you can figure out who you are. Um, you know, when I was in high school, I figured out I was really good at marketing. I was really good at like doing photoshops, building websites, um, building like sales funnels and, um, knowing how to do like presentations. I realized that was my thing. And, uh, the only way, the only way that I was, I knew that that was my thing is I, I loved going on talent shows. Uh, I loved performing. Um, sports wasn't necessarily my thing. I figured that out really quick after losing like 10 times in wrestling uh, <laughs> or getting sacked in, or getting tackled in football. Um, and, and I had a hard time catching a football. So that was another thing. So I knew sports wasn't, wasn't for me, but I knew I was really good at like, at, by the end, end of my high school year, I ended up being chief editor for our um, news network. So one of the reasons why I'm really good at YouTube videos and I, I know how to edit videos. So your high school time, your younger self, like, you know, before 20 is a great time to go and develop those skill set on social media, marketing. Like you literally have all the free time in the world. Like once you hit 23, 24, you start to feel the, 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 the pain of having to pay bills and you got responsibilities. And like once you have kids, like, goes, like that goes all goes sideways. So 
when you're in your, your, your teens, that is literally the best time to acquire new skills, learn everything. Like don't waste a single time, like just messing around. I love that. Yeah. You know, try lots of things. And then number two, yeah. don't place too much emphasis on what other people think. Oh yeah. They might not yeah. be there in 10 years anyway. I love that. Yeah. And here's the cool part. And yeah. here's, here's the amazing part. Um, if you're worried about what other people think of you, um, the, the, the crazy, like if this is going to trip you out, the crazy thing is they're also thinking about the same way about you. They're like, man, what if Sam thinks I'm crazy? And here you are thinking, what if this guy thinks I'm crazy? Right? We all think that we're like, hey, this guy's going to think I'm crazy or this guy thinks I'm crazy. I mean, we all live in this fear, right? We've got to stop it, right? So um, don't worry about what other people think. And if you really internalize that, oh, man, like, yeah. you're, you're gonna be- limit. Yeah. No, I love that. Well, you know, before we wrap up the show, <laughs> I have to ask you, this has been on the back of my yeah. mind because you mentioned Shark Tank and I love that show. Mm-hmm. Who's your favorite shark? <laughs> so I, I definitely say I, so personality wise, I jive really well with Mr. Wonderful, Kevin Leary. Okay. Um, but I love Robert's character. Ooh. I love Robert's um, enthusiasm. He, so, he definitely has that personal touch, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely does. That's awesome. Okay. So this was a great show. Um, where yeah. can our listeners learn more about you, you know, your brother, your business yep. and get in contact with you? Yeah, so if you Google us, the 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 Quack Brothers, I mean, we're we're pretty much everywhere. Uh, YouTube <laughs> is a is a big thing. So if you if you guys want to find us on YouTube, just search the Quack Brothers, T H E K W A K B R O T H E R S. You'll find all sorts of free videos and podcasts that we release. Uh, we're actually going to be starting April. We're going to do video day. So if you want to if you want to catch us catch us there, you'll find us there. You know, there's a lot of videos there. So yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So I'll have all that and more in the show notes uh, for this episode. So if you thought that was helpful, please do us a favor and leave us a review on iTunes. We'll Mm -hmm. catch you right back here next week for another exciting episode of the Bigger Cash Flow Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Bigger Cash Flow Podcast. Please remember that opinions of the guests are their own and nothing on this show should be considered personal or professional advice. Please consult your tax, legal, or financial advisor for personal advice that fit your unique situation. See you next time.